Hi, this is John Harcher, and welcome to episode 5 of Keep On Grooving. Alan Douglas came in and kickstarted Jimi Hendrix's posthumous career with Crash Landing and Midnight Lightning, but the sugar high of new material quickly wore off, and after a couple of best of collection, the time came to look for a different direction. That direction went forward in one sense, but back in another using the template of an old album to create a new one. Episode 5, The Alan Douglas Era, 1980 to 1984. After the success of Crash Landing and the disappointment of Midnight Lightning, Douglas had to come up with another idea to get more of Jimmy's music out to the public in a form that'll go out and buy. The idea of taking songs and replacing the musicians to make them sound a little better was over and done. It had been five years since any new music had come out, save Gloria on the Essential Collections. He decided to take a different route. Jimmy had shown an interest in doing something a little bit more towards jazz. There was a track he recorded during the Electric Ladyland sessions called South Saturn Delta, where he played along with a horn section. That song took on such importance in retrospect it became the title track of an album we'll get to when we get to the 90s. In 1969, Jimmy began playing with musicians from a jazz background like Dave Holland and Larry Young. At one point, Douglas even tried to set up a jam session with Jimmy, Miles Davis, and drummer Tony Williams, but the story is Miles backed out at the last minute because he didn't get enough money. A session with Miles Davis didn't happen, but one with someone else in Miles' sphere, jazz guitarist John McLaughlin, did work out, kind of. The two got together one night in March 1969 and jammed for a little under an hour. The tape machine was working properly, preserving the music for all posterity. Unfortunately, Mahavishnu's guitar was not. He played his usual open-body guitar, but this one had a bad pickup that kept cutting in and out. By the time 1980 came around, a jam with these two guitar greats would have been of great interest, especially with McLaughlin's later success playing with Carlos Santana and his own Mahavishnu Orchestra. But because of the guitar issues, McLaughlin to this day hasn't granted permission for the tape to be released. You could see his reasoning. If you can't really hear him, there's not much point in releasing it. So is there anything there to actually point to a jazzier Jimmy? Nine to the universe. I have to give it to Douglas. His decision to try to delve into Jimmy's jazz influence side isn't exactly a recipe for widespread acceptance from an audience waiting for the next Purple Haze of Voodoo Child. And Reprise also decided to take a chance on it, possibly thinking, it's been five years, maybe they'll try this out and buy it. But it was also in a little bit of a music black hole in 1979-1980. Disco was crashing, punk was in and out, classic hard rock bands were struggling to fit into a new marketplace. Was there a place for Jazzy Jimmy? This album, released in March of 1980, set to find out. All of the songs on this album were recorded in that hollow space in Jimmy's career, mid-1969. The title track isn't actually called Nine to the Universe, Hello Jam Back at the House. It's officially Message to the Universe, and it's the one that contains the music passages that evolved into Message of Love and Earth Blues. Towards the end of the 19-minute jam, Jimmy and girlfriend Devin Wilson trade some verses. Overall, it's a very loose but inspired jam. That's not what we get here. Nine to the Universe is 8 minutes and 45 seconds of selected highlights from the 19-minute jam without any vocals. You can still hear the beginnings of Message of Love and Earth Blues, plus we get a little drum solo from Buddy Miles. 
So it's something familiar for Hendrix fans to bring them into the album. The other track on side one is called Jimmy Jimmy Jam. So which other Jimmy is this? Oh, Jimmy Page? Well, no, it doesn't appear they ever actually met. Turns out the other Jim here is Jim McCarty, guitar player for a buddy's band, The Express. He'd also previously been with Mitch Ryder and would later join Cactus and do a lot of session work. The jam also contained Roland Robinson on bass and Mitch on drums. It originally ran for 17 minutes. We get eight of it here. Side two opens with a track called Young Hendrix. Now, this may sound like an origin picture or something, but it's just because it's a duet of sorts between Jimmy and jazz organist Larry Young, who would later play with John McLaughlin on Miles Davis's trip into Hendrix territory, Bitches Brew, along with bassist Dave Holland, who's also on this track. Buddy holds down the backbeat on drums. The full version of this runs over 20 minutes. We get about half of it here. Easy Blues is a track from the Woodstock band Studio Days in late August 1969. Jimmy, Billy, and Mitch remain prominent in the mix. Larry Lee is there, but his solo got cut. Juma, Sultan, and Jerry Velez were mixed down almost completely. The original was about 10 minutes, and once again, say it with me, we get about half of it here. The album ends with something called Drone Blues. Now, this is the one that breaks the pattern. Only two of the eight and a half minutes gets cut out here. Jimmy recorded this around the same time as Crash Landing, so Cherry People, Rocky Isaacs, and Al Marks join Jimmy and Billy on drums and percussion, respectively. This one takes after his name and is a bit on the dissonant side. I'd have probably ended the album with Easy Blues instead. At one point, a track from the Band of Gypsies' December sessions called Strato Strut was meant for inclusion, but was taken off at the last minute. Shades of Mike Jeffrey. At four and a half minutes with no edits, it could have easily fit onto the end of side one. But the album was what it was, and upon release, it streaked up the charts all the way to 127 on Billboard. I'm not sure if they thought of this as a success or a failure, but considering we didn't get anything else like it, and it's never really received a proper digital release, I'd say they weren't thrilled. I don't think the edits are the problem. They're pretty unobtrusive. Plus, would a double album of 10-minute jams have sold better in 1980? While as a fan, I'd probably have liked to have seen fuller versions. It might not have been marketable. You know, for the heck of it, they could have just done the full 19-minute message to the universe on side one, the full Young Hendrix on side two, and see how it went. You have the band of gypsies on one side and Jimmy playing with Miles Davis' sidemen on the other. I'm actually surprised by now we haven't gotten a reissue with the full versions of all five tracks on one album. It'd fit on one CD, and if they wanted to put Strato Strut in there for a complete picture, it'd only require a couple of seconds of trimming off each track to get it under 80 minutes. Three of the five songs on this album have been released in full. Easy Blues is out, but without Larry Lee's solo, and the title track has not yet been reissued. As to whether this was jazz or not, I'd say Young Hendrix fit the bill, and Drone Blues skirted free jazz a little bit. Otherwise, I'd say it was really just old-fashioned blues-based jamming. Some really good blues-based jamming, but calling it jazz? I don't know. Bit of a stretch. One bit of strange trivia. Somehow the album made it out in 1979 in Brazil. It was called Message from Nine to the Universe, had the sides flipped, and some name changes. Like, Easy Blues was Hendrix Lee Space Blues. Jimmy Jimmy Jam was called Hendrix McCarty Jam. How did this happen? 1981 was one of those rare years without a new Hendrix release. 
There's something called Stone Free that may have been under consideration, but it was never issued. It's floating around on the internet out there with some kind of track listing. It's kind of odd. It's a combination of uh, stuff that didn't make the best of collections, and there's Drifter's Escape, and kind of odd. I understand why it uh, was never issued. So it was over two years before another new Hendrix album would hit the shelves. This time they looked to plug the gap in the catalog that had existed since In the West went out of print, something resembling a proper live album. Band of Gypsies was out there as usual. The Jimmy Otis Monterey album was still in print. And of course, there were the Woodstock soundtracks as well as the one from the Jimi Hendrix film. What they did do next was use the In the West template, take a hodgepodge of Jimmy live tracks from various dates and places, and this time we get the double live album. The Jimi Hendrix Concerts. Jimi Hendrix Concerts came out in August 1982. It sort of resembled what could have been a Jimi Hendrix concert with the glaring omission of Purple Haze. I suppose they figured they had a good version on the soundtrack, so no need to put another one on. It assembled tracks from a lot of the same places as in the West. San Diego from 69, Berkeley in 1970, and oh yes, another shot at some Royal Albert Hall tracks. And for the first time, a group of songs from the Winterland run in October 1968 finally made it out. Side one starts off with a sometime opener, Fire from Winterland. This one's a little looser than some of the 1969 or 70 versions, but works overall. It's followed by the San Diego version of I Don't Live Today. The LA version was considered and mixed for the 1969 live album. This one's a little fiercer and has a, a Star Spangled Banner snippet in the middle. The side ends with Red House from the New York Pop Festival on Randall's Island from July 1970. The festival was a mess, but this version has a lot of fans saying it's one of their favorites. Side two goes back to the scene of the crime. Royal Albert Hall and an epic rendition of his first song, or a, uh, a blast from the past, as Jimmy says, Stone Free. The album version is over 10 minutes long, and that's with cutting out a drum solo by Mitch. It's followed by a relatively rare version of Are You Experienced from Winterland. The song wasn't performed that much, surprisingly, mostly in 1968, and they actually did it twice during the Winterland one. One of them was a 17-minute long jam with a flautist joining in. This one is the shorter version running around seven minutes. Side 3 starts off with Little Wing from Winterland, and the way Jimmy uses his wah-wah pedal on this version is pretty unique. I don't think he did things like this with it all that often. The echo also gives it a different feel than the one from uh, Royal Albert Hall. In fact, that's the whole album in general is treated with a reverb to give it kind of a echo in the hall sound. Voodoo Child is up next, also from Winterland. This was done right around the same time Electric Ladyland was coming out. He'd actually been performing the song since the summer. He must have known it would be something special. It didn't have the spark the later versions would have, but uh, it was pretty good for its time. The side ends with Bleeding Heart from Royal Albert Hall. Wait, wait, again? Well, remember, the song had not officially been released by the Hendrix estate, so this is its debut of sorts. It's edited by about a minute or so, but it's not as much as whatever they did on that other edit from the Ember album. Side 4 starts off with Hey Joe from Berkeley, a sort of perfunctory version. Wild Thing is next from Winterland, which is odd having it not at the end. It was also, as we'd later discover, part of a longer medley that included an interesting version of Hey Joe and Purple Haze, but we'd have to wait for the rise of digital to hear that. 
The album ended with Hear My Train A Coming also from Winterland. It was performed only once during the six concerts, and it's a pretty good one. It's actually my buddy Darren's favorite version. He was even happy to find out later when an extra two minutes showed up on the box set from 2011. There was another song that was added when it came out on CD in a few years, but CDs weren't on the market yet in 1982, so we'll talk about it when we get to 1989. The album sold far better in the UK than in the US. Here, it did better than Nine to the Universe, but barely more than the soundtrack album reaching number 79 on the album charts. In the UK, it hit number 16, which is odd in a way since they still had all those live albums available. They had Isla White, they still had In the West, they had the two Royal Albert Hall albums, so they weren't as live-deprived as U.S. audiences were. Go figure. In 1983, Polydor put out the singles album, a two-record set that covered all the single releases the company put out overseas, hence the album was only available overseas. It was quite a double dip because with the exception of Can You See Me, every song from the UK version of Smash Hits is on here. Carlos Holmes was still a Polydor 12 years after Isle of Wight and did the mastering. Side 1 has the three Are You Experienced era singles and B-sides. Side 2 starts with Burning and Stars, then, as usual, bypasses Axis and jumps to Electric Ladyland with along the Watchtower with its B-side Long Hot Summer Night followed by Crosstown Traffic. The side ends with Fire, which was sort of a desperation single released in 1969 to have something out from Jimmy and ended up not doing anything chart-wise. Side 3 starts with his posthumous UK number one voodoo child, followed by Angel and Nightbird Flying. You see how not having Dolly Dagger on Cry of Love as intended really mess things up? The next single was very weird. The A-side was Gypsy Eyes from Electric Ladyland, which had also been the B-side to Crosstown Traffic back in 1968. The B-side was Remember from Are You Experience, listed as Mono Enhanced for Stereo. And that basically meant they took the mono track and created a fake stereo version by putting it in both speakers. Now, Remember did get a stereo mix, but it was on the U.S. version of Smash Hits, and I guess Polydor didn't have the master tape or something like that. In the West, Johnny B. Good and Little Wing close out the side. Side 4 has three songs from Are You Experienced, Foxy Lady, Manic Depression, and Third Stone from the Sun that showed up on some kind of single release somewhere along the way. I know Foxy Lady was out as a single back in 1967 on the continent, but not in the UK. Why didn't they go ahead and put on Can You See Me and make the double dip complete? It was actually the B-side to All on the Watchtower in some places. Okay. Snarky response over. I don't remember where Third Stone was a single or EP. My copy is in storage right now, and it didn't immediately pop up on Discogs when I checked. The album ends with Glorious, since it was technically a single, though not one you could have separately bought in the stores and not really played on the radio, but that's another story. It actually hit number 77 on the charts. Not bad for stuff most fans already had. And it was the last album to come out before the age of digital arrived in 1984. Kiss the Sky The compact disc first began to hit record shelves in 1984, and it opened things up a bit for artists and record companies. Up until then, they were generally constrained by the physical limits of an LP. You can only fit so much on one side of a record without starting to affect the sound quality. 
that would generally keep album sides to the 20, 22 minute ballpark and an album under 45 minutes, which worked out great for the blank cassette industry. One album on each side of a 90 minute tape worked perfectly. With the CD, at first you could put up to 74 minutes on one disc, which a few years later expanded to 80 minutes. By the end of the decade, everyone was looking to put as much as they could on a single disc to hold the price down instead of going to a two-disc set unless absolutely necessary. Though, there's always the Red Album, Chicago 2, and Kiss Alive. For Jimmy, the first three experience albums and Cry of Love came out with the first wave of releases as they crash landing, but not for long. Now, Smash Hits didn't make the digital cut at this point, but they did need some kind of collection to take advantage of the new medium. Douglas used the newest digital technology to make the song sound nice and shiny and put together an 11-song package that ran 46 minutes. Way to push the envelope there, Alan. Couldn't squeeze Little Wing on there? Yeah. Anyway, here's what was on the album titled Kiss the Sky. Are You Experienced starts off the set just like it did for Essential Hendrix. Next up was a slightly edited I Don't Live Today from Jimi Hendrix concert, followed by Voodoo Child. Then the single version of Stepping Stone with Buddy Miles on drums makes a return appearance. Kind of. Supposedly there are some minor mixing differences between this version and the actual 7-inch single from 1970, but as far as we're concerned, it's the single version. Castles Made of Sand is a representative for Max's Bold as Love. Then a long-awaited track finally makes its debut. Killing Four from Monterey Pop! I have no idea why it took them so long to get to this track, but it's finally out. It's a killer performance that shouldn't have spent 17 years in the vault. The title track, Purple Haze, is up next, followed by a unique version of Red House. It's the Delane Lea studio version from the U.S. Smash Hits, with the opening pluck cut out and a few seconds of jokey studio dialogue added in the front. In other words, we're cooking, right? Is that what you're trying to say? Why they couldn't have kept the pluck in? I don't know. Crosstown Traffic, Third Stone from the Sun, I guess they must have wanted to give the effects a digital workout, and All on the Watchtower finish up the CD. They also made a promo video for Are You Experienced, with a cameo by Alan at the end, that actually got some decent airplay on MTV. It's a solid enough collection. If you have smash hits, it gives you those couple of extra songs you wish it had, Are You Experienced and Voodoo Child. Within a decade, it was pretty much rendered obsolete with the other Hendrix compilations and live releases that came out taking care of almost everything on this one. Red House is the only unique track that still hasn't been reissued in this version. But it was the first foray into a brand new format and gave customers enough incentive to pick it up. It only hit 157 on the charts, but it was geared more towards the CD audience, which was very small at the time. 1984 also gave us one oddity, Jimmy is the founder of rap? Back in 1969, Jimmy and Buddy recorded a backing track with Alan Douglas. Supposedly, he had Lightning Rod from The Last Poets come in and do one of his raps. The result was the song Doriella Du Fontaine. Douglas released in Uncelluloid Records in 1984. There's been some question as to whether the rap was recorded back in 1969 or 1983. We'll just take them at their word it was 69. The original take is supposedly 13 minutes long. This version has it a little under 9 minutes. The B-side had an instrumental take running about half as long. The CD single that came out a decade later had another song entitled OD on it that doesn't look like Jimmy took part in it at all. The CD era would eventually allow the floodgates to open wide, and many things that previously sat in the vault found a new avenue to reach the public. 
But as the previous dozen years had shown, the road ahead was as bumpy and as full of curves as ever. Next time, 1985 gets passed over for a new release, but 1986 makes up for lost time by having not one, not two, but three new releases come out, as well as two new videos. Jimmy also makes a return to Capitol Records, but it doesn't go quite as well as the contractually obligated album from 1970. I'm John Harter. Please subscribe if you like what you're hearing. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.